0: Radio contact. Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. Last week, as the embers of San Diego Comic Con were dying out, I promised you that more news about Star Trek was on the horizon with the imminent approach of the Star Trek Las Vegas convention, and Vegas Baby did not disappoint. Plus, strap on your frilly collar, grab one of those skulls you've got lying around as we trod the boards this week to talk about Shakespeare and Trek. Lay on, uh, let's get underway. First, the bad news. We've already talked a lot on the show about CBS President Les Moonves in connection with his fight with the Redstone family over the merger between CBS and Viacom, but an unrelated set of events may prove to complicate that deal even further. Last week, The New Yorker published a piece by Ronan Farrow in which six women accused the president and CEO of CBS of sexually harassing them. CBS, who is already in the process of investigating accusations against Charlie Rose, has added Moonves to the ongoing investigation of sexual misconduct and the alleged hostile environment at the network. However, in the midst of all this, the CBS board last Monday voted to keep Moonves in his position as chairman during the investigation. And that's really telling. As we reported previously, this fight over the merger rages on. And let me remind you of the sides involved. You've got National Amusements, which owns Viacom and Paramount Studios, and is run essentially by the Redstone family with Sherry Redstone at the head. They want to merge with the CBS Corporation, where Les Moonves is president. Moonves and CBS don't want the merger to go forward because they don't want to have to financially carry Viacom. And the Redstones want the merger to help boost capital for Viacom. And as we reported, this has become fraught with lawsuits flying back and forth. Uh, Sumner Redstone, Sherry's father and chair of National, his competency is being called into question by CBS because he's getting pretty old. Uh, There's a worry from CBS that Sherry Redstone will try to fire and replace CBS board members with ones who will vote yes for a merger. So this is a delicate time. And that's reflected in that CBS has voted to hold on to a CEO who is against the merger, but is also accused of sexual harassment and of fostering a negative environment to both women and to whistleblowers. Ugh, the whole thing is pretty gross And it makes you wonder how bad it might be If a certain rich mouse suddenly got a hankering For going where no one has gone before And just took the whole thing off their hands Topo Gijo from Italy Uh, not, not that mouse uh, Anyway, uh, more on this as it develops But never mind that snit Hey, you, uh Heard any good Star Trek news lately? Jeez, I mean, I know I follow a lot of Star Trek news groups, and I have a lot of friends who like Star Trek, but man, my social feeds were chock-a-block last weekend with one and one story only... And as I'm sure you've now heard, Patrick Stewart will be returning to the world of Star Trek to reprise his role as Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Fans at Star Trek Las Vegas last weekend were treated to a special announcement by the man himself. And listeners to this show will remember that we reported in June on the rumors that Stewart might return as Picard. Well, guess what? The rumors are always true. He'll be back. The new show, which will premiere at an unspecified date on, where else, CBS All Access, will revisit the intrepid captain 20 years after the events of Star Trek Nemesis. And the creative team for the series is comprised of Alex Kurtzman, James Duff, Akiva Goldsman, (laughs) Michael Schaben, hmm, and Kirsten Beyer. Mm. This segment brought to you by Involuntary Nonverbal Emotional Responses. My favorite part of this story is that Michael Shaban, Pulitzer, Hugo, and Nebula Award-winning writer, will be a producer and uh, presumably a writer on the series. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I've enjoyed writing all these amazing books and being highly respected in fiction, but what I really want to do is sit in a writer's room and drink bad coffee and argue with 25-year-olds about whether or not Picard should wear a hat. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't seem like a promotion to me, but hey, if you love Star Trek, there you go. Of the announcement, Stuart himself has said... And I won't do the voice, but I really want to. Uh, He said, uh, During these past years, it has been humbling to hear many stories about how the next generation brought people comfort, saw them through difficult periods in their lives, or how the example of Jean-Luc inspired so many to follow in his footsteps pursuing science, exploration, and leadership. I feel I'm ready to return to him for the same reason, to research and experience what comforting and reforming light he might shine on these often very dark times." Amen. Patrick Stewart and Jean-Luc Picard, two men of light, indubitably. This is the third all-access Trek property to be officially announced after Discovery and the Short Treks series of short films. This is this is unprecedented, um, and this analogy won't make any sense, but... This would be like if Star Trek Phase 2 had gotten off the ground or if that mid-70s Trek movie had gotten made. I know that the original cast got the motion picture and the TNG cast had films, but this is the first real sequel property for the franchise. We'll actually be going back. It's not a dream, not an imaginary story. We'll be going back to this character, and I wonder if this means if there's a possibility of seeing other TNG characters. Uh, Remember when Marina Sirtis was in Vancouver and people thought that maybe she was going to be involved in a new project The sky's the limit. The space is the limit. I mean, we could see TNG characters, DS9 characters, Voyager. This could be a chance to revisit a lot of things. And here's what I'm really excited about. I've talked before, uh, specifically on our Discovery episode, where we looked back on season one of Star Trek Discovery, which is available at enterprisingindividuals.com. Uh, I talked about how the franchise seems reluctant to really push the story forward. DS9 is its own kind of environment, its own oxbow of sorts. Voyager is in another part of town entirely. A Discovery is a prequel. Only the novels have had the crystals, if you will, to boldly go into the future of the future. And that's what I want to see. What happens to the Federation in the future? What new threats emerge? Do we get more evolved or does something hold us back? And we're finally going to get more of the story. Not a weird beard Q fantasy, not a Crewman Daniels temporal Cold War thing. This is the real future on the screen. I'm so excited, I'm going to forget that Akiva Winner's Tale Goldsman's on board, and if the Kurtz can make something like this happen, I'm one step closer to not wanting him dead. So what's the show going to be about? That's the big question now. I still like the pitch that we came up with in our live episode from this year's Convergence with Melinda Snodgrass, uh, the idea that Picard is retired from Starfleet, and he's an Indiana Jones-type archaeologist. He's saving the treasures of the galaxy from the 'er ne'er-do-wells of the galaxy with the help of the slightly more-do-wells of the galaxy, like a Firefly-type show in the Trek universe. It's anyone's guess, though. I hope they resist the impulse to bring the Borg back for the millionth time and make it a dark action show. You know they want to do it, so please don't. He just got done talking about Shining Light. Don't make it into some dark, edgy thing, please. We'll have more on this, as I'm sure it will develop. And we do have a little more information about the short treks that are due this fall. They'll be 10 to 15 minutes in length. Rain Wilson is slated to direct the one that he'll be in as Harry Mudd. And slated... Um, These aren't in the can already? Come on, Discovery, come on. I had that parade last show about being right about you coming back in 2018. You gotta deliver these on time. Uh, Anyway, uh, he also said that the script for the Harry Mudd short trek was written by a Rick and Morty writer. And he also said that he really enjoyed... What?! Which Rick and Morty writer, Mr. Wilson? You, you don't drop something like that and just push forward. People are crazy about Rick and Morty writers. They have their own wiki pages. They've got trading cards for them, so you can't just say, oh yeah, it was written by a Rick and Morty uh, writer. Also, black bears are the best. Your humble commentator has struck out once again, as I did everything I could to try to research who he might be talking about. And I came up with zilch. The only thing that I was able to find out was it's maybe James Siciliano, who is a writer on Rick and Morty, and he was a production assistant on the 2009 Star Trek reboot. Which that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. Uh, but he also recently retweeted the announcement on his Twitter that Patrick Stewart would be returning as Picard, which also means nothing. He's a nerd, so I got nothing. But the search continues. Uh, does it seem like you've been hearing a lot of news about? new Trek shows recently? Well, it's all part of the plan by CBS to give viewers all Trek, all the time, T.M., at the recent Television Critics Association press tour, CBS TV president David Stapf and other CBS officials told reporters that they are exploring additional spin-offs in addition to the just recently announced Picard show, such as a possible Giorgio limited series. Says Stapp, my goal is that there should be a Star Trek something on all the time on all access. We know it draws an audience and Discovery has done quite well. In an unrelated story, a local goose was stabbed to death last weekend by a network television president who was attempting to just get all the golden eggs at once. Services for the goose will be held at Aesop's farm on Saturday, dinner served after. Sauce for the goose, Mr. Savick. We're not quite done with Vegas Trek news just yet. Former Trek writer and producer and current documentarian Ira Stephen Bear took to the Las Vegas stage with some of his producing partners to give fans an update on the in-process DS9 documentary, What We Left Behind. According to Bear, they remain on track for a DVD and Blu-ray release this year with a possible streaming option available in the future. The runtime was reported as an hour and 48 minutes, and the doc will feature HD remastered clips from the series. Bear reported that in making the documentary, they're drawing from over 120 hours of interviews with cast and crew members from the series, and although that won't include Avery Brooks, as the actor is still committed to being done with Cisco, he will appear in archival footage in the film. The segment of the doc that I'm looking forward to personally will be Iris Steven Bear, Ronald D. Moore, and the rest of the writing staff of DS9 pitching and breaking their story for a hypothetical season eight of the show. And that'll be about 20 minutes long and will include animated segments. This is all great news, and if you're a DS9 fan like me, you're drowning in your own saliva over wanting this thing to just come out already. So keep an eye out for the release this year. You can go to DS9Documentary.com for more information. And this is a long shot, but Bear has suggested that if the doc receives a positive response, it may push CBS to reconsider remastering all of DS9 in HD, and that itself will be worth the price of admission. So check it out. And in what may be the most encouraging news out of Las Vegas, the Star Trek novel franchise, which has lain fallow for a while now, is being re-energized with the announcement of three new Star Trek novels from Simon & Schuster. March of 2019, we'll see a new original series novel from New York Times best-selling author and former guest of this show, Greg Cox, entitled The Antares Maelstrom. Remember that from Khan's speech in Star Trek II? No release date yet on the sequel, Perdition's Flame. In April of next year, The Adventures of the Starship Enterprise-D, under the command of Captain Jean-Luc Picard, will continue in the novel Available Light by New York Times bestselling author and former guest on this show, Dayton Ward. One has to wonder if the events of this book will in some way help set up where Picard will be in the future of his all-access show, but we'll find out in April. And full stop, before any of that, in January of next year, readers will be treated to a new discovery novel, The Way to the Stars, by author and educator and eminent guest on this program, Dr. Una McCormick. Anyone who listens to this show regularly knows that I spend a lot of time talking to Trek authors, and we definitely consider the novels to be a critical piece of Trek storytelling and fandom. So this is amazing news that Trek publishing is in full swing. So be on the lookout for these exciting new books, and it looks like I've got a few manuscripts to dust off. I created it, and it's real! Ah, what else? Uh, The makeup designer for Discovery, Glenn Hetrick, said at the Vegas show that the Klingons would have a new look in season two. Oh, boy. Uh, It sounds like they're looking to create even more diversity in the look of the Klingons, reasoning that they're not just from uh, Kronos. You know, they're a galaxy-spanning empire, so they look different in different places. But it seems like people want them to have hair again. And Hetrick essentially implies that Takuvma and his gang were hairless because of their religious beliefs. So look for hairy Klingons in Discovery Season 2. What else? Uh, Brent Spiner took the stage at the show along with Joe Piscopo. <laughs> wow. Kids ask your dad who Joe Piscopo was. Uh let's see. Ah <laughs> uh, yes. So, the death of Captain Lorca was supposed to signal the end of Isaac's antics. Our regular series of updates on the exploits of the man rated best captain by Piss and Vinegar magazine. This was Jason's first Star Trek convention, and he took the stage and questions with a plum. He also threw fortune cookies to the crowd, which is pretty baller. And of course, as usual, Isaacs brought controversy with him, saying from the Vegas stage, "Quote, I grew up worshiping William Shatner, not William Shatner, Captain Kirk. There's a difference." Oh, well. Mr. Captain Kirk uh, William Shatner himself didn't like that much tweeting not an hour later someone who I don't even know takes pot shots from the stage to increase his public persona all this does is make him seem desperate for attention but what it has done is prove that I was correct in the first place in blocking him let him have his moment of petty glory and blocking Isaacs again as he did after their Twitter spat last fall come on people Come on, we're supposed to be enlightened beings in the future, right? We're all one big happy fleet. Well, Isaacs took it all in stride, posting a doctored photo of himself and Shatner in uniform on the bow of the Titanic, with a young Shatner holding him in the iconic Jack and Rose pose. Yeah, that'll get you unbanned. Well, Isaac's heart may go on, but it's uncertain as to whether his return to Discovery will be near or far, as the actor remained tight-lipped on the subject during his panel, but whatever his involvement with the franchise, he remains the king of my world. Send that chrismet to share a pillow talk. The course of true love never did run smooth, according to the Bard, and music may be the food of love to Count Orsino, but Shakespearean illusion has been the food for many a Star Trek writer. From episode titles like Dagger of the Mind or Vaulting Ambition to characters like Miranda Jones or just Christopher Plummer in an eye patch, thumbing randomly through her collected works, the works of William Shakespeare have been meat and drink to the writers of every Star Trek series. I talked last week with author Robin Laws about Trek's most explicit flirtation with Shakespeare, the original series episode The Conscience of the King, where there's literally a Shakespeare band of players on board, and Kirk is going through his own Hamlet-like curse of indecision while trying to determine the guilt of Caridian, who may be the tyrant Kodos. But Shakespeare allusions in Trek come not as single spies, but in battalions. And here, in vaguely chronological order, are my favorite five. Number five. How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth, from the animated series episode of the same name. The Shakespeare connection here is solely through the title, which is of course an allusion to King Lear, and the episode itself is something of a revisit of the plot of Who Mourns for Adonais, where the Enterprise meets a powerful alien who claims to be the inspiration for religious figures in Earth's past. Instead of Apollo this time, however, it's a being named Kukulan, based on the Mayan-winged serpent god that the Aztecs call Quetzalcoatl, This episode is notable for having won a Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Children's Series and for featuring, as near as I can tell, the first Native American Starfleet crew member seen on screen in the form of Ensign Walking Bear, a member of the Comanche Nation. The character of Walking Bear has been used on the fan series Star Trek New Voyages as well, and the episode was co-written by Russell Bates, who is himself a member of the Kiowa Tribe. Walking Bear was voiced by James Doohan, so, uh... Two out of three ain't bad. Number four, The Defector, which is a great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, and it begins with an allusion to a great play by Shakespeare. As the episode opens, Data and the Captain are rehearsing a scene from Henry V, and which, by the way, why are these guys always rehearsing plays? Are they ever going to perform them? Or is this the educated indolence of a future human who doesn't have to work for a living? Sorry, anyway, um, it's a scene from Henry V, and it deals with a king or leader's responsibility to their subjects, or those under them. And it's a great use of Shakespeare, because that theme of a leader's responsibility to his followers is something that's explored in the episode and is often explored in the world of Trek. The Defector was written by Ronald D. Moore, and the original script for the episode actually opened with Data doing, you know, something Sherlock Holmesy, But Patrick Stewart suggested opening the show with Henry V, which had recently reached the big screen via the Kenneth Branagh adaptation. Another TNG episode would open with Shakespeare, an episode called Emergence, the second-to-last episode of the series. In that one, Data and Picard are rehearsing The Tempest, which is a clever reference, as The Tempest was Shakespeare's last solo work, and the play itself contains themes of laying things to rest. Smart. Number three, you'd think that General Chang, the scenery-chewing villain from Star Trek VI, would be a shoo-in for this list. Yes, yes, the undiscovered country is a line from Hamlet. Don't at me. But I'm going to give this one to the rest of the cast's reaction to the quotation-spouting villain. It's an old trope, uh, that of having a bad guy quote Shakespeare or Milton or the Bible to show that, hey, evil is cultured too. But that trope reaches its peak in the scheming one-eyed Klingon played with relish by Christopher Plummer, Did this guy study abroad at Eton? I mean, I like a good classical quote as much as the next college educated Trek fan, but by the time Chang gets a one way trip to Stovakor via a gas seeking torpedo, I fully concur with Dr. McCoy's prescription. I'd give real money if he'd shut up. My number two comes from a particularly strong pair of episodes from DS9's third season Improbable Cause. And the Die Is Cast, where the threat of the Dominion looms large after their rout of the Obsidian Order. At the start of the first episode, Bashir is taken aback that Garrick doesn't seem to care for the Shakespeare that he's lent him. Garrick thinks that Julius Caesar can't be a very good ruler if he didn't know he was going to be betrayed by Brutus and company. However, in the second episode, The Die Is Cast, which is itself a line taken from Caesar's account of his Gallic conquests, Garrick shows that even if he doesn't admire Caesar, he's still paying attention. When his mentor, in Tain, wonders how they could have been defeated so easily by the Dominion, Garrick paraphrases Cassius from Julius Caesar, saying, The fault, dear Tain, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Which is an interesting inversion, as in the play, Cassius is trying to goad Brutus into rebellion, but Garrick's use of the quote reveals a new self-awareness of the futility of the Order's sense of superiority. So, maybe Garrick wasn't paying that much attention? (laughs) Garrick actor Andrew Robinson is no stranger to Shakespeare himself, having studied at Lambda, that's the London Academy for Music and Dramatic Arts in England for the Groundlings, and he created the MFA Professional Actor Training Program at the USC School of Dramatic Arts. So, stitch that, plain simple Garrick. And my number one pick? It's kind of a weird one, but it's significant nonetheless. In the two-part Enterprise episode, In a Mirror Darkly, the Mirror Universe's version of Flocks is scanning the Defiant's databanks. Uh, this is the Constitution-class Defiant from our universe. And he finds that the works of Shakespeare in the Mirror Universe are nearly identical to the ones in our universe. It's an idea that Mike Sussman, who wrote the script for the episode, borrowed from Diane Duane's Mirror Universe novel, Dark Mirror. And it's crazy! Like, why Shakespeare? Are the truths about the human condition examined in Shakespeare applicable across universes? Or is it, or is it flipped, like Titus Andronicus is a comedy for them, like, but the play's the same? How is Shakespeare the moral axis around which these two universes revolve? The play's the thing indeed. Well, I hope you didn't mind me borrowing your ears for a bit. But if you want more Shakespeare in your trek, as if increase of appetite had grown by what it fed on, you can get it from Amazon.com. There you can find the Oxford edition of the complete works of Shakespeare, now with the reign of Edward III and Sir Thomas More included, which were not in it when I went to school, but times change. You can also find your copy of The Klingon Hamlet, prepared by the Klingon Language Institute, the classic tale of revenge and honor in the original Klingon. Or maybe you're still pumped about the return of Jean-Luc Picard. Why not go all the way with the autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard by David A. Goodman, which takes you from his days as a hair-having, human-hearted Starfleet cadet to a wise, accomplished starship captain without those things. They're all available on Amazon, and you can get there through the links I've left in the show notes or through our Amazon banner at enterprisingindividuals.com. When you shop on Amazon through our links or through our banner, a percentage of your transaction comes back to us at no extra cost to you and helps keep the Warp Core lit here. It's a great way to support the show. And this counts for anything. It's not just Star Trek stuff. You can actually bookmark that banner. And when you click through to Amazon that way, whatever you buy, the same deal applies. And speaking of deals... All this August, the excellent Destiny trilogy by cat owner and perennial guest of this show, David Mack, is available on Amazon for just 99 cents a book. That's like, that's like less than $5. The Borg are back. This time it's for keeps. Lock up your individuality and start modulating your phaser frequencies. Check those out. I've got links in the show notes. And maybe you're saying poor and content is rich and rich enough. To which I would say, but rich as fineless is as poor as winter to him that ever fears he shall be poor. And I would also say, if you like what you hear on Enterprising Individuals and you want to support the show, why not head to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. It's there that you can sign up to be a crew member of the show for a small monthly donation, and you can get access to our exclusive subscriber content, like our live shows, including our live show with Melinda Snodgrass at Convergence 2018, my DS9 rewatch recaps, and our new episode commentaries, like our latest commentary for The Cage. And there's show merchandise and more. Just head to patreon.com forward slash and become a member of the crew today. Anyone can join our crew. We're not picky. He who joins our crew shall be my brother. At patreon.com forward slash Pod. As always, anything you contribute to the show will be appreciated and will help keep us flying. Thanks. Social media is a great way to keep in touch, but it's also a great way to get really scary news. Author and former show guest Scott Pearson. Scott. No, no, this is serious. Scott had a cardiac incident this last weekend, or in his own words, a heart attack. Scott is home now and he's doing much better, which is why I'm being so flippant about it. But our thoughts here at the show still go out to him as he recovers. Be good to yourself, people. And while you're at it, head over to GenerationsGeek.com to hear the fantastic podcast hosted by Scott and his daughter and my Discovery Coast, Ella. Get well soon, Scott, and you win just aspirin, just lots and lots of aspirin. Remember, listeners, you can tweet to us or message the show and maybe have your comment read on the air. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Pod or find us at, at Pod on Twitter or through our social media links on enterprisingindividuals.com. You can also reach the show at EISTpod at gmail.com with feedback and suggestions or to just say hello. We're waiting to receive your transmission. And that's it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an Apple Podcasts listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on Apple Podcasts? Make sure you're subscribed to the show. Also, write us a little review if the spirit moves you, and give us a rating at the very least. We'd appreciate it, and it really helps the show. If you're not on Apple Podcasts, listener, you can still subscribe to the show on Google Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get our show from. And if you leave positive comments and ratings and reviews on those platforms as well, we would be eternally grateful. Next week on Enterprising Individuals. Sometimes, You just have to take another crack at it. You've done what no one else has. You've launched a Star Trek spinoff set not on a starship, but on a space station. You've got a black captain and a diverse crew. You've even got featured players who are non-Federation aliens. But something's missing. Six feet and four inches of something in a metal sash. Author and educator Dr. Una McCormick joins the show next week as Lieutenant Commander Worf joins the crew of Deep Space Nine as the series starts its fourth year with a war between the Dominion and the Klingon Empire and a commitment to the long-form storytelling that would define the series at its creative height. It's the way of the warrior, next time on Enterprising Individuals. And until then, I'm your Captain Caliban, signing off and saying, live long and prosper.